As you know, it's important to me that the supplements I recommend and use are of the highest quality. That's why I stock the Protocol for Life Balance product line at my online dispensary, drhoffman.com slash protocol for life balance. Protocol for Life Balance offers a wide range of professional grade products using ingredients backed by strong scientific research, including methyl action. Methyl action contains B vitamins in their active forms, promoting a vital process called methylation, which helps maintain normal homocysteine levels, supporting neurological, cardiovascular, eye, and bone health. Methyl action is a good choice for anyone who wants to support their overall health and well being. It is especially beneficial for individuals wanting to keep their homocysteine levels within normal range and want to age gracefully. For more information and to order methyl action, just go to drhoffman.com slash protocol for life balance. That's drhoffman.com slash protocol for life balance. drhoffman.com slash protocol for life balance. Methyl action. Welcome to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoffman. Uh, you know, I have a, a very great interest in uh, regenerative agriculture because uh, on the one hand, uh, it's easier on the environment. Uh, also, it provides uh, superior agricultural products. Uh, and uh, when it comes to uh, environmental concerns, uh, I think it really is uh, the way to go. And today we're going to talk to uh, an expert on that subject. Uh, our guest today, by his own description, works with a group of cows to save the planet and people's health. He's Sam Ingersoll, who's the marketing director for Kelowna Supernatural. It's an organic dairy brand that sources milk from regenerative small family farms. He's a consumer advocate and he's an educator and he focuses on soil sociology with a background in sociology from Yale University. He's transferred it to uh, his current endeavors at Kelowna Supernatural. And he frequently addresses audiences from farmers to influencers about food, like myself, uh, to produce uh, uh, better quality food, nutrient-dense food, while at the same time restoring ecosystems. And uh, Sam, if you'll permit me just a little bit of an anecdote. Um, I have uh, a very close uh, friend uh, who is uh, a veterinarian, but the way he became uh, a veterinarian, he became a large animal veterinarian becomes, because he comes from a long line of dairy farmers, traditionally as far back mm -hmm. as you can almost record a time, uh, his family is engaged <laughs> in dairy farming. And... Mm -hmm. uh, you know, when I talk to him, he is very disillusioned with what's uh, happening in the dairy industry. Uh, he says that uh, when he grew up, you know, they were obviously uh, going for productivity. They wanted cows to uh, produce more. But he says that the, the ways that they have now uh, turned uh, cows into milk factories and through automation and factory farms and the use of uh, growth enhancers and chemicals, uh, he really laments uh, what's happening to the dairy industry. I guess it's a matter of uh, yeah. you know sheer economics. It's capitalism at work, uh, but it's become a, you know an industrial process that uh, I think may leave something behind when it comes to uh, ravaging the environment uh, as well as uh, offering consumers a you know, kind of a lower quality product. So uh, give us a little background. Tell us how you about your journey, how you got involved in this. Well, um, I, 
it's been a long time coming. I grew up real dirt poor in the mountains of Washington State in the cornfields of Illinois. I fled all that for an Ivy League college and spent about 10 years running nonprofit affordable housing, uh, economic, and family services programs. Um, ironically, I was set to appear on The Apprentice, but bailed out because we had just adopted a little baby out of the county of San Diego. So you were, and you were considered a, a, for, an innovator because that's that show is all about innovation. Yeah, it was third season. Um, uh, yeah, and then I just I explored the wild depths of the internet, becoming a business consultant to a lot of big companies. I I just felt like we're selling out to consumers and celebrities, and then I became a fast food junkie, uh, soda, and uh, in my old age, I've reformed my ways and returned to my roots, helping farmers and eating regeneratively sourced organic meat and dairy, and I feel better for it. Okay, well, uh, you know, let let me address uh, what is a little bit. Uh, uh, the 800-pound uh, gorilla when it comes to dairy products. A lot of people uh, mm. are worried about dairy products because, uh, you know, some of the studies suggest that uh, epidemiologically they may be associated with higher risk of certain cancers. There's a lot of people allergic to dairy. Uh, dairy is a no-no for some people. Uh, so how is it that uh, regenerative agriculture and more natural means of producing dairy can, can obviate those problems you know i'm pretty sure that when you put a lot of chemicals into cows and into the soil uh maybe that's what's causing problems you got it um my um my wife is a doctor but i have to um assert that i am not a medical physician and so i can't provide specific advice about you know health concerns and i do think though also that um health is very specific to people you know, we we talk to vegans and then we talk to carnivore diet people and everyone believes strongly that theirs is the best. Right. My guess, it's out of cutting out all the junk. It's, it's more um, like uh, ideology question, uh, trumps science in many cases. Yeah. 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 I, I I think so. I mean, I think they have definite reasons for believing what, what they are doing because it's helped them. But I think it's a little more complicated that and certainly as it relates to regenerative agriculture. Um, to, to your specific question about about dairy and the epidemiological studies, I think those, honestly, I think those are done on people who are ingesting conventionally grown dairy, mm-hmm. which, um, first of all, usually consists of a very high quality or a, high, a very low quality diet of um, GMO grains and a lot of them. I can describe the difference between that. Um, but say, say your cow is getting 40 to 50% of its diet from, from GMO manipulated grains. Um, cows do have the ability to process grains, which are seeds, but it, it you know, for drought situations or in the winter to bring energy, but, but too much of that grains and any part of those grains, um, gins the cow's digestive system up into a really high state of stress. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I would say, you know, maybe a little grains, which is what some of our farms do to get their cows through and to help um, focus on the soil health on our farms is probably okay. But 50, 40, 50 percent, 20 percent, even that, which is what a lot of organic dairy companies do, is pretty high. So that's the first thing. The second thing is so, the difference excuse between Excuse me, I, I might fed. mention, you know, one of my yep. favorite aphorisms, which it's not so much you are what you eat, it's you are what you eat eats because when it comes to yes. uh, animal protein the composition of meat and the composition yep. of dairy uh very much reflects uh the the food intake and uh you know mm-hmm. I, I always like to go back to the principle of what is it that ruminants 
naturally eat. And, you know, if we're uh, kind of uh, fooling with Mother Nature and giving them high test uh, corn fed amped up feed to make them bigger, uh, amp up milk production, uh, maybe just maybe uh, the quality of the product suffers. Uh, A 100% or high grass-fed diet on a regenerative farm where there's 14 different grasses on pasture instead of two or three is probably the best way to go. It sounds like my favorite book is my favorite book is um, What Your Food Ate by David Montgomery and and his his wife. Um, And so when you seek out that kind of um, that kind of food that's grown in that kind of conditions, whether it's dairy or meat, I think um, it has a much higher level of CLAs, um, higher. Explain what those are. More the, normal. The, the conjugated linoleic acids. Yeah. What, what is CLA? And you know, and there's actually been a lot of research on this. And in fact, some people, you know, mm-hmm. go to the health food store and they buy CLA in hopes that it mm-hmm. will confer some health benefits. But what are CLAs? And uh, it turns out they're actually trans fats. They're a type of trans fat that is good. I think. Absolutely. Um, they're naturally occurring um, free fatty acids that are found in mo- usually most meat and dairy products. Um, they have a couple different benefits, helping increase muscle mass and reduce fat, strengthen the immune system. And then the other thing is the ratio of omega-6 to omega-3s. When that's way out of whack like it is in non-grass-fed meat or non-grass-fed dairy, you get really high differences, you know, 15 to 1, 6 via Too much 6 uh, and not three. enough 3, right? Yep. Yep, yep. And and that was really, I think there's evidence emerging, I I think that, you know, that was really, that was really damaging during COVID and other, and, and just for health in general, because your body's immuno, immunologic, <laughs> inflammatory response to disease to fight it yep. feeds on omega-6. Mm-hmm. And if you got too much of it, it just keeps sucking it up, sucking it up, sucking up, does not calm down. And then it, you know, created a lot of, with COVID anyway, lots of respiratory and other issues that that people with healthier diets would not have had. Cytokine storm is the term that kind of mm-hmm. its way into the vernacular. We, you know, uh, previously uh, kind of a esoteric term, but it, it became yeah. part of the common parlance. For sure. That's what, that's what whipped up. And it was, I think, you know, a lot of it was based on, I mean, older people had more problems, et cetera. But in general, it was people with really poor diets mm-hmm. that you saw just yeah. keel over. And what? <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was sad. And so we need to, we need to lower that, those back down through regenerative, real grass fed practices. Okay. So there's, uh, there's what the cows eat, but there's also mm-hmm. uh, how the milk is processed. Now, there's some, uh, people who claim that what you want is raw milk. You want, you know, the, just mm-hmm. right out of the udder. You know, the best thing is, you know, you live on a farm and you milk the cows and you take the pail and you, you know, uh, pour it in your glass on the, on the breakfast table. But there are concerns about that. And actually there are laws sure. and regulations that try to safeguard the public from problems like a dread condition, brucellosis, which is known to be transmitted in raw milk sometimes. I'm not saying that all yep. raw milk pr- producers uh, are, uh, you know, uh, poisoning their, their, their customers, but there is that potential. So how do you, how do you get around that? Because you actually, you're, you have to be, you're in the mainstream. You have to kind of bow to some of the regulatory pressures, but how do you preserve the quality of the milk uh, while retaining some of the benefits? Well, actually, you know, because we sell nationwide, the first question comes up, why don't you sell raw milk? 
Um, We are, in general, as a brand, supportive of people getting the most raw, whole foods. And we have a lot of customers that prefer raw milk but um, buy from us. So we talk to them. We talk to them all the time. Um, There's two problems here. I think the first is that if the cows are raised in poor conditions or not monitored properly and the milk is not um, uh, transported and stored properly, you know, we're super regulated on that stuff. It is yeah. brutal. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if it's not, then raw milk can can carry E. coli, listeria, brucella, salmonella, and those are the things that, um, you know, have popped up. We, we've heard, we also for a lot, we also see here lots of people say, you know, I bought milk at a goat farm and or a little cow farm and it looked good, but then it, then it gave me those things. And I was sick for three days and I had to go in the ER. Yeah. Um, we, general, we believe in transparency. So, the first issue is, is I, you know, my gut says that if you're, if you have, um, immunology issues, if you're, um, young, uh, babies, um, you know, I just personally, I would just be a little careful about that. Mm-hmm. Um, the second thing is that, you know, we, a lot of, for a lot of raw milk folks, they assume that raw means the most natural state. But um, it's not necessarily true. We know that raw milk farms, many of them that we know, um, some are organic, some are great, grass-fed, regenerative, but a lot are feeding their cows, you know, a plenty heavy diet of grain. Um, some of our customers don't like vaccines, whatever your position is on that. Um, they almost, to a T, use vaccines. Mm-hmm. And nobody knows this, really, right? Consumers just like, well, it must be the most natural. Well, not exactly, and it comes with some other issues. Where we, where we are the closest thing you can get to raw is that we um, pasteurize at the lowest temperature allowed by law. So, so let's explain that, so, that process. I mean, you'll go back, you know, historically, sure. people will recall that there was this guy, Louis Pasteur, who in the 19th century uh, was the first to advocate uh, heating up milk to kill the bacteria. There was actually this novel notion that there could be these little tiny creatures, these little animalcules that you could see with with uh, primitive microscopes that cause disease. And he was one of the first to say, okay, if we heat it up, we'll kill those bugs. And that became mm-hmm. kind of the, the way to go. But what it what does pasteurization do to the quality of milk? There must be some degradation of some of the beneficial properties of milk. And how do you kind of attenuate mm-hmm. the, the loss of these properties, but at the same time ensure the safety of the milk? That's a, That's a lot of questions in one. That's a lot. Yeah. To well, there are three types of past. There are three types of pasteurization. The first is low, lowest temperature allowed by law, vat pasteurized. Uh, the second, which is at a, we heat the milk slowly to 145 degrees for half an hour and bring it back down. Um, it's a gentle process. The next one is HTST. You'll find this with like yogurt, some kind of cheeses mostly. Um, that's where it's at 168 degrees but for 15 uh, 15 minutes. And then the third is ultra-high temp pasteurization, Mm -hmm. ultra-pasteurization, which, frankly, many of organic companies went to when they needed to ship milk across the country. Mm -hmm. Um, Ultra-pasteurization at 280 degrees, slammed it for two seconds, sterilizes everything. Mm-hmm. We feel that it breaks down a lot of the nutritional value. You know, what, your body won't recognize what it. What percentage of the milk uh, commercially available in the United States is ultra-pasteurized? What would you say? Oh, gosh. I would guess something like 95 okay. to, not, you know, to higher. Um, if you combine ultra-pasteurization with homogenization, 
which most all milks are, where the cream fat is smashed under thousands of pounds of pressure and then dis- diversifies, spreads out throughout the milk. Um, we're talking our milk is different than 99.99% mm-hmm. of what's sold probably. I'm sorry. So go, um, going back to the pasteurization, which technique do you yep. use? We use l- the lowest temperature allowed by law for our, our products. The, and that's the so-called VAT, did you say? It's called VAT? VAT pasteurization. Okay. Yep. And what is that? It's small batch that, pasteurization. What does too. that retain? Is there some, uh, I mean, clearly there's going to be some chemical changes to the chemical composition of the milk with the heating. But are, what mm-hmm. is it that you hope to retain by this lower temperature pasteurization? Well, we know it kills it kills the health, the, the harmful germs. We mm-hmm. know that. So yeah. we have to do that. Yeah. Um, and it does change. We think it changes some of the the enzyme structure, breaks it down. Mm-hmm. I think that's necessary for certain kinds of products, and so everybody does it. Yeah. Um, but but you know the real answer is we're we we don't quite know. Right. There's nobody funding research on how yeah. <laughs> you know raw milk or or low temp pasteurized is better. Uh, there's a just like when we you know we think uh, dirt is dirt. No, it's not. You know, one teaspoon contains. 11, 9 billion bacteria and we know about what 100 do mm-hmm. um but, but but we do know anecdotally that first of all people are able to digest it better um it retains the taste better ultra high temp pasteurization or ultra pasteurization mm-hmm. you know cooks the sugars makes it different different color yeah if it wasn't in uh, cartons you would probably see the different color of it mm-hmm. um and 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 we think there are there are other things going on that are changing the chemical composition that nobody has you know nobody wants to study and we don't have them like to it we're a tiny small company we hear tons properties. of stories about everything from their health yeah what's that I, I just said that there's some ineffable yeah, so, properties of milk I mean look, yeah, milk, is a, yeah. milk is a biological substance it's not just protein and sugar uh, and mm-hmm. uh, you know uh, 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 you know, fat, it, it, it is, uh, mm-hmm. there's some really bioactive compounds in milk. So, yeah. We're just, you know, we get story after story after story that says, I, my kid couldn't digest milk and I did it. And he doesn't have the same allergy that he used to. Mm-hmm. And we think, we think that's because of, we use low temp pasteurization. We don't homogenize. Um, uh, and uh, 60 to 80% of our herds are, are A2 variety cows. Right. Which, how, uh, somebody, yeah, let's talk about that in a second. But how about homogenization? Yep. Because homogenization mm-hmm. is interesting because, you know, I, I remember, you know, oh, my goodness, one of the last times when I was a kid, I went to, you know, backpacking uh, through uh, England and Scotland. And I remember mm-hmm. uh, enjoying the milk there. It was amazing. You know, they came in, it came in bottles and there was this creamy top. And, you know, there was this like a whole sort of gradient of the, uh, fat content of the milk and it was delicious because it wasn't homogenized. Now, some people yep. believe, and I've read some literature on this, it's not generally accepted by the powers that be, that by mm-hmm. uh, taking the fat globules and breaking them down, that it somehow uh, enab- enables their more readily them to be more readily taken up into the system and maybe hit the immune system or something along those lines. I don't re- uh, recall exactly what the argument was, but that homo- it's not so much pasteurization, pasteurization is a problem, but homogenization has made milk more atherogenic. In other words, that these little tiny mm-hmm. particles are more likely to hit the arterial wall and cause havoc 
at the level of the endothelium, which is the lining of the arteries. I mean, this is the argument that I've heard. Yeah. Yeah, you, you sterilize milk and kill all its benefits, and whatever benefits are retained, um, they can't be absorbed by your body because your body doesn't recognize the unnatural structure. Mm-hmm. Um, if you talk to people, like I just talked to this woman from India, and she was like, she's doing her PhD work or something. She's like, you know, I think uh, non-homogenized milk is better in terms of weight loss. Now, I can't, I can't say that in a marketing campaign, yeah, sure. but it's something like when you um, the 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 large size of the fat globules when you don't homogenize it allows the body to still transmit the nutrients and better but um have less surface area of fat so it's a difference mm-hmm. of eating like a, a stick of butter which mm-hmm. is good versus when you have when you have all those little tiny globules you know you now you're eating six sticks of butter which i wouldn't recommend mm-hmm. no matter how much butter you know is good for you <laughs> right, that's interesting because the physical chemical properties uh, relate to its absorption, uh, and so mm-hmm. clearly uh, having these intact uh, fat—they're uh, uh, not molecules, the fat globules—may uh, uh, be a better way to encapsulate the fat in a more to deliver it in a more physiologic way to the body than to uh, ultra homogenize and you know break it into like a, a very very. Uh, fine suspension of tiny particles. Yeah, I think that's the mm-hmm. argument around that. So anyway, you're yep. go, you're going to now, this is interesting because uh, there's this whole debate about a one versus a two. So you got to explain that because that is there's a whole line of uh, discussion around a one a two milk. So please venture forth to explain it. Yeah, uh, this is tricky, and I always, I always like mess it up, but A1 and A2 refers to the types of protein found in dairy. Mm-hmm. And we think they can have a huge impact on how you digest milk, cheese, and yogurt. Or at least I do, because my body reacts differently to A2 dairy. Um, it was A2 dairy was consumed by our ancestors mm-hmm. and even contains anti-inflammatory products. Um, there's so, some so arguments, you, you know, what people you're saying say is, A1 is more, can make inflammation it, worse for some. Yeah, I don't know about that. Okay, um, but what you're saying is that more art, artisanal uh, cattle, you know, like the like the uh, mm-hmm. ancestral cattle more delivered. Was it A2 or A1? Uh, yes. A2. Okay. So A2. So, uh, and there are only certain species of cattle that predominantly produce A2 milk. And it has to do with, uh, there are two main proteins. There's lactalbumin, right? And then mm-hmm. there's casein. Casein is, you know, it's like curds and whey. Casein is the what makes the curds in cottage cheese. And whey, it makes buttermilk. That's lactalbumin. Yep. And, you know, I think of Little Miss Muffet, Saturn or Tuffet, eating her curds and whey. Um, so, it is it the it's the casein that's either A1 or A2, right? And so it's a yep. slight variation in the protein configuration, I think. Um, it's not that much different, but it has something to do with its immunogenicity, its ability to trigger an immune response uh, or inflammation, as you suggest. Yep. Yeah, and so some people go after, really go hard after A1. I think we don't know... Um, there are some people that obviously have an allergy and have bloating and diarrhea or whatever. Um, but, um, you know, people's, people's reaction that way, I think, can also be affected by the homogenization, by the, mm-hmm. by the, um, sterilization, by the quality of the milk. 
So we get responses that are all over the board. Some people come to us and say, so I'm allergic to, to, you know, the A1 beta casein. Um, what about your milk? And we're like, well, 60 to 80% of our cows are A2 variety cows is what we talk about them as, like the brown cows, although whole things can be A2. It gets very complicated. Um, but again, we hear that, um, you know, lots of people can, can digest ours. Um, even though, even though we have some A1 cows. Mm-hmm. And so we don't, we're, we're not quite sure. Our, I would say that our, that our cows though are transitioning, our herds are transitioning to A2. Mm-hmm. But our guys do it naturally. They just don't buy a bunch of cows and artificially inseminate them. They have to breed them. And that takes, you know, five years, you know, to build up a, build up the herd, change herd over. Um, someday I bet we will have an A2 line that mm-hmm. we can test and verify. So what, what you're saying is that if, when people buy the milk under Kelowna Naturals, uh, it may be kind of like uh, a blended scotch. You know, it's going to come from different sources, but now yep. it, it weighs a little bit towards A2. Uh, but there's no yep. guarantee that unless you launch an exclusively A2 line, that it's going to be A2. But at least... Yeah, you know, testing the, is hard. And it's expensive. Yeah. Segregation yeah. is hard. Yeah. You know, protein um, or growth is hard. Yep. Right. Yeah. You know, you don't want any accidents, right, in the, in the, in the, in the, in the, in the cattle pen, right? Okay. Um, right. Yeah. So, yeah, in, in, this is a good basis for our discussion because, you know, there's a lot to be said for the healthfulness, uh, of, uh, this more natural source of milk products. Uh, I got a lot more questions for you, so stay with us. Sure. Uh, our guest is Sam Yergersall, Marketing Director of Kelowna Supernatural. Uh, find them at Kelowna, K-A-L-O-N-A, Supernatural.com. What are people going to find there? It's like, can you buy it off the website or do you tell people where to go, what stores to go to or what farms to patronize, what brands to patronize? How does that work? Uh, details on our products, a store locator, um, details on our farms, and details on how our, uh, the processing methods we use. Okay, great stuff. Okay, in part two, I want to keep talking about the quality of milk. I have some questions about the use of antibiotics and growth hormones, uh, which we'll reserve for part two. And I also want to talk a little bit about uh, the environmental impact of this because uh, there are a lot of people who are saying, hey, climate change, global warming, uh, part of the problem is uh, too many animals grazing. And uh, they used to be talking about cow farts, but more appropriately, it's actually cow Erectations. Erectations is a fancy <laughs> word for burping. Uh, and so we're going to, you know, uh, find out if, you know, are we devastating the environment uh, to uh, raise uh, natural uh, dairy products? Uh, or is there a potential advantage to these small farm uh, regenerative agriculture methods? I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and this is the Intelligent Medicine Podcast.